0: So we have been immersed in uh, the uh, book of Proverbs, which uh, contains wisdom, that is to say skill for living life, and we have uh, seen what it has to say about many subjects, and tonight I'd like to ask you to pay attention with me to this particular topic. What does Proverbs, the book of wisdom, has, have to say about the discipline of children. Uh, Folks, I think you won't be surprised to find out it says much about that particular subject. For instance, uh, listen to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. It says there, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So if you think about it, that singular proverb makes two statements that have uh, become increasingly unpopular in the day in which we live. Statement number one, children are, though they be cute and delightful in many ways, children are bad. And number two, corporal or physical discipline of children is good. That's what this particular Proverbs 22.15 essentially says, and both uh, declarations are very unpopular because the world would have us believe the very opposite. No, children are inherently good, and corporal punishment is inherently bad. So we have a world system in diametric opposition to the biblical perspective. And I would just like to tell you, and I I think most of you agree, I think God's perspective on this is right. And the world's is, uh, as usual, uh, dead wrong. Folks, children, even yours, children, grandchildren, though you love them, um, they're sinners. Did you know that? Uh, I mean, they're just like you. You birthed them and uh, they have inherited your nature and yours is to sin and so is theirs. No child has to be taught to be rebellious and obstinate and sinful. They need little encouragement to manifest their inherent nature. It's, it's just there. Kids enter into the world with a sin nature and it manifests itself pretty quickly in their young lives uh, such that the rod... Uh, as the Bible refers to it, is meant to sort of keep the manifestation of that sinful nature in check. And so this proverb speaks about foolishness bound up in the heart of a child. Here by foolishness, it's not making a comment on an intellectual deficit. It's really a moral deficit. Foolishness. It's not talking about silliness. Kids are supposed to be silly, aren't they? They're supposed to be childlike. I'll never forget years and years ago when our kids were real, real young, we had lunch with the pastor uh, in another state who I admired greatly. And he invited my family and I out to lunch after a church service. And we thought this was a great privilege. And I was really hoping that my three boys would be on their best behavior. You know, I wanted to impress the pastor or at least fool him into thinking something of us that wasn't entirely accurate. Well, anyway, around the table, uh, the boys, to my mind, were not behaving. They were just moving and dropping things and playing with things and all the rest. And I, I said a few words to them, and the pastor said, Oh, Stuart, don't worry about it. They're, they're behaving just as children are supposed to behave. You want them to sit still, but God is saying, move, wriggle. They're kids. It's just part of who they are. Don't worry about it. I'm not bothered by it at all. So I learned a real lesson. There's a difference between issues of development and issues of rebellion. When it comes to issues of rebellion, even on the part of our young children, uh, discipline is called for. But when it's issues of development, no, we don't apply the rod to that. We, we ask God to give us patience because they're going to grow through it. So here by foolishness, the writer is speaking of a, a moral inclination, an inclination to sin and to do that. Which is contrary to Almighty God. And it says here that these inclinations are bound up in the heart of a child. It's like the child can't be free of it, Uh, they're entangled in it, just as if they're tied up with a rope. So, too, this inclination to do things their way rather than God's seems to be part and parcel of who they are. And a loving parent, a loving parent, sees it and wants to do something about it. this proverb says, here's what you could do about it. Uh, The rod of discipline will remove it. That foolish, sinful inclination will remove it far from him. Now, does the rod mean a baseball bat? Um, No, it it does not mean that. Uh, The rod represents something that stings but that does not injure so there's a lot of objectors to this form of discipline today but they're throwing out in my opinion the baby with the bath water god says applying the rod um Uh, uh, puts sinful inclinations on the part of a child or grandchild in check, but this is no permission to abuse a child. So when it comes to the discipline of our children, there are two typical errors to avoid. One is abusing the rod, but the other is sparing the rod. I mean, we're hearing a lot about this today, just reason with your child. And would that be possible, for crying out loud, to be able to communicate reasonable concepts to your child that don't have to be backed up, let's just say, with a deeper impression uh, through the rod? Most children uh, need discipline beyond mere words. Some don't, but most do. Uh, For instance, the word "no." Uh, may simply not be enough in certain cases with certain children, so therefore something more uh, concrete use, uh, ought to be applied. For instance, you see your young child or grandchild making his or her way uh, from the yard into the street, oncoming traffic and all the rest, and you say, no! Well, that may work, but sometimes what really reinforces the idea is the application Of the rod. So the two errors to avoid uh, is number one, abusing the rod, or number two, sparing uh, the rod. The Bible says it is really an act of parental love to apply this kind of discipline. And to deny a child firm discipline is actually uh, an unloving thing to do. For instance, listen to Proverbs 13, verse 24. He who withholds his rod hates, strong language, I'm just reading it, hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, how in the world can withholding the rod be seen to be a kind of hatred for one's child? Well, it could be taken to mean that you don't really care enough about how your child lives. But you know, God cares a lot about we, how we, his children, live. Therefore, he disciplines us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the rod of discipline actually makes a child feel loved and valued and secure. Listen to Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. The comfort of the rod is based upon the fact that uh, discipline is a proof of sonship. As parents or grandparents, we don't usually go about disciplining someone else's children we do this with regard to our own children or grandchildren. It's a sign of sonship. So God's rod, for instance, applied to his kids is proof that they are his children. And your rod applied to your kids is proof that they are your children. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so you see, God's discipline of us is evidence of the fact that we are his sons and daughters. Kids, did you know this, kids crave this kind of thing? Why? Because it makes them feel secure and loved. I've shared this with you, I think, on more than one occasion, but I I think it bears repeating here. When I grew up uh, in New York... uh, I grew up on a block, uh, urban area, lots of kids on the block, and we would hang out together. And one time, the group, the guys, little kids, we came up with the idea, let's um, camp out one night this week. By camping out in that area, we didn't mean tents and open fields, we meant um, we would sleep on the, on the flat roof of a Methodist church that was on the block. They had no spiritual interest, but that's, we called it urban camping. That's, you mean know, that's the way it was. We would just make our way. We'd climb up on the flat roof. We'd sleep out on the roof. Well, we didn't tell our parents this, but uh, everyone thought, well, I'll ask. They said, I'll ask my dad for permission, you know, just to, to sleep out. Everyone said that. And I thought inside, I don't have to ask my dad. Uh, why not? Well, my dad was there, but not there. Uh, never abused me, beat me, or anything like that, but he was taken up with his own lifestyle of uh, drinking and gambling and the addictive effects of it all. I wouldn't say he was unloving by no means, but he was mastered by these things to such an extent that, um, well, he just didn't have the energy or the time to take in much of an interest in setting guidelines for me. And so the kids knew this, and they envied me. They said, oh, Stuart, you really got it good. You can do what you want. Come and go as you please. You don't ever have to get your dad's permission. Isn't that good? And for a while, I fooled myself into thinking I was in an enviable position. I didn't have to check in. But after a while, I realized, nah, that wasn't a good spot at all. I got the impression uh, that my, I didn't have someone, a father figure who cared enough about me to say no or yes or not now. Uh, the other kids did. I did not. And as a result, I grew with lots of insecurities. There wasn't the structure of a bigger person setting bounds, limitations, and giving uh, guidance. And so God, who is so smart, all the wise, knows when you apply the rod and other forms of discipline, it really is showing love to your child. It's showing them, I care about your comings and goings. I care about your choices, and I want to guide you through life so that you do well in life. In fact, kids who grow up without this uh, uh, parental loving discipline Uh, Oftentimes, they put themselves in situations where they deliberately get into trouble, thus obligating the law enforcement system to assume the role of surrogate parent. My son is a police officer, and when he was on patrol, uh, he used to tell me a good deal of his time is sort of babysitting. I said, what do you mean? He said, a lot of the calls we get are are uh, ones concerning adults uh, in chronological age, but who are childlike in other ways. They need parental guidance. And I think a lot of criminal behavior has behind it the motivation of actually calling for someone to be the surrogate dad or mom that person never had. In fact, I think a lot of repeat offenders are more comfortable in the structured environment of jail, because at least there, somebody is telling you when to get up, when to go to bed, what to wear, what to do, and what to eat. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, if you haven't had the rod, you suffer from father hunger to such an extent that you'll choose someone, even if he's not a loving father, just a cruel, impersonal, penal system, at least that shows you the structure and some concern for your life that you never had before. That's why Proverbs chapter 13 verse 24 says, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him Disciplines him diligently. Now, when this is taking place, your child or grandchild may not feel loved at all. They may feel the opposite. Why don't you love me? Why are you doing this to me? But eventually, they'll find out your motive was good. You love them. They'll realize you disciplined them. You set bounds. You set no. And you reinforced your no with consequences out of love. Later on in life, they'll grow through it. They'll grow up because of it, and they'll see the grand and gracious purpose behind the application of your discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, folks, this point must be kept in mind. If your discipline is administered at the peak of your anger, if your discipline takes place in the context of unbridled anger, your child will have a very hard time ever appreciating it. It will be very difficult for your child to see your good intentions behind uh, the application of your discipline if you're doing it when you're emotionally out of control yourself. But if your child understands that you are disciplining him or her out of love, out of a desire to see him grow, out of a desire to see him or her do things God's way, there's much less likelihood that your child will hate the process of discipline. So to help your child or grandchild understand your loving motive, uh, I would like to suggest to you that you should divide uh, discipline into three parts. Uh, They're easy. It's the before part, the during part, and the after part. Here's the before part. When your child or a grandchild has transgressed and violated a uh, standard you have communicated, uh, you should, before you apply the consequence, you should ask your child or grandchild if he knows why what is about to happen is about to happen. You should say, Do you know why I, as your dad or mom or granddad or grandma, am about to do this? Do you understand? Uh, You'll want to say, do you realize uh, what you did was wrong? Tell me about it. Now, your point there is to try to move your child calmly to a point of confession. You want them to simply acknowledge and recognize, even in childlike manner, uh, what it is that they did which is wrong. And you'll want, during the before time, to explain why the rod, which is about to be applied, is necessary. So you don't want to do things on impulse. You don't want to just grab them and chase them around the house and, you know, out of anger, smack them. You want to sit calm. And unless you're able to be calm, you're not ready to apply the rod yet. You've got to calm down. And you want to help them to understand, as I say, why you're applying the rod. You want to say, I do this because I love you. And, therefore, I want to show you I'm concerned about how you live. In fact, I watch. And I see when you do wonderful things, and I see things uh, when you do them that are displeasing to me, and more importantly, even to God. And to help you to learn how to do things better, I'm going to do what I'm I'm about to do. I do this because I care about you. That's the before conversation. Here's the during. The during is simple. You simply administer the rod to leave an impression, but not a wound. We used to use, uh, and I know this difference of opinion here, we used to use a wooden spoon, uh, a long handle, and uh, I would keep it. Uh, my wife had a plate rack. It was displayed in the kitchen. And uh, when my boys would see me go to the plate rack, oh, my goodness, it was absolutely priceless. I must say I enjoyed it. <laughs> and so I would, extra- I would do this very slowly. I'd reach for the spoon, you know, and I'd walk back over to the place of execution. I, I mean, of, of uh, discipline. And, uh, and uh, I had, I, I, I had good, good wrists, and I knew how to use it. Now, when uh, my wife would use the spoon, she didn't, she didn't have good wrist action, and she would use the wrong side of the spoon. She would use the hollow side. And she couldn't get good wrist action. So the boys told me when they grew up, they said, you know, we used to cry and uh, we go, oh. And, and they used to say, but man, we loved it when mom grabbed the spoon because we knew. He, they said, but when you did, we knew you'd be using the other side of the spoon and we're going to feel it. But anyway, so, we, so, so, so once I made my way for the spoon, you know, the before conversation is, has taken place. When I made, once I was making my way to the spoon, there was no dissuading me. I mean, there was gonna be no lawyer in the world who was going to get them off the hook. Once I committed to apply the rod, I wanted the kids to know you can cry all you want and you can say you're sorry all you want and you can do whatever you want, but it's coming, the rod is coming. So that's the middle phase, the during, but you can't end there. And the next phase after the administration of the discipline is very, very important. After you apply the rod, you want to reassure your child or grandchild of your love and that all is well between the two of you. I would sit there with my boys and I would say, now look me in the eye. I would dry their tears for them and I would say, do you know that dad loves you? I wanted them to verbalize it. No, I want you to know. I want to know. And they would go, yes, daddy. And I said, well, let's just hug each other. And then I would reassure them, and I would say, do you know nothing you do, even the wrong things, can ever cause me to cease to be your dad and could ever cause me to cease to love you? And we would just go walk off just as if what they did never happened. You see what I mean? Why did I do that? Because I wanted to model for them just what our Heavenly Father does to us. He gives us the opportunity to confess our sin. In so many words, our Father says, do you know uh, about the wrong thing you did? Are we in agreement that what you did was sin? Yes, Father. Is it your desire not to repeat it? Yes, Father. Well, then let me do what I'm about to do to help you, to see That sinful decisions don't bring about good results. And then don't you get this reassurance from the Father that all our sins have been cast behind his back as far as the east is from the west? So far has he removed them? Uh, from us if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so you just press on and you continue to take the hand of your abba father just as if you had not sinned in fact that's the biblical doctrine of justification our status In the eyes of the father is really fine. Don't you hear him say, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Don't you hear him say, I'm displeased with some of the things you do, but I'll never be displeased with you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I am always your father irreversibly. So so that's how I came up with these three steps. I think that's how the father does us. There's kind of a before. There's a during. And then there's the after, which says, now all is fine. Let's go through life hand in hand, just as if what happened did not happen. Now, here's something for us to think about, it seems to me. Uh, The rod should only be applied to a child when he has clearly violated a clearly stated rule. (laughs) The rod should only be applied when a child or grandchild has clearly violated a clearly stated rule. Uh, Otherwise, a child can become very angry, frustrated, and confused when disciplined for doing something he didn't know was wrong. Sometimes parents are just angry and irritable, and they're screaming and yelling and spanking and do all kinds of things, and the child has no idea. What did I do? What did I do? That causes such emotional turmoil in the life of a child. He does not know why you suddenly turned against him. He didn't feel like he turned against you. What did he do that was wrong? And so what you want to do is express your expectations very clearly. And then you want to just as clearly express the consequences that will be applied if your expectations are not lived up to. And then if the rule, your expected rule, is violated, the consequence must be consistently applied. If you're a two-parent household, a dad and mom, you might have difference of opinion about how to discipline. Uh, I would encourage you to have that conversation in private. And whether you choose to spank or not, choose to use a spoon or not, a belt, or whatever you want, or no such thing, whatever it is, what's most important is that the two of you be consistent. You have to be consistent, and you have to apply the penalty in as close an association with the violation as possible, otherwise the child won't get it. For instance... I think the death penalty is uh, an effective deterrent, except the way we do it. If someone, through due process of law, has been convicted of taking the life of another, convicted of homicide, what then happens is 5, 10, 15, 20 years of appeals. So if even after all that, the accused is for sure found to be the guilty party, and the ultimate penalty death penalty is applied, it has little or no deterrent effects on potential murders because the application of the penalty is so far removed from the violation. It's a total distortion of what God has for us in the Bible. And so too we as parents, good night. If you have a clearly stated rule that has been clearly violated, you have to consistently and quickly apply the penalty. Now, sometimes this is rough on you because the setting is not right. Well, you just have to find a setting, a private setting, quickly. I don't recommend this kind of discipline in public because in today's day and age, you know, you could be brought up on charges and dragged into a court of law and, and, uh, and all the rest. So there's always your car in the parking lot of Walmart or uh, men's room or, hmm, do we have men's rooms anymore? <laughs> oh, that's kind of a thing of the past, apparently. Hope I'm not off target in saying that. (laughs) So, what a day. What a day. My goodness. So here's what you want to do. You want to make sure your uh, child uh, receives a clear statement of what you expect. Secondly, you want to make sure your child understands the consequences. Sometimes you do it by saying, can you repeat after me? I just want to make sure you understand what I just said. Uh, Tell me first what I expect of you. Let me hear it in your words. Great, you got it right. Number two, tell me what uh, you heard me say about the consequence if you don't do this. Well, Dad, you said, okay, okay, good, you got it right. So that's what you do. And then if the expectation is violated, you must apply the consequences now if you repeat yourself needlessly again and again I'll tell you what's going to happen you're going to unintentionally produce a child who devalues the words of authority figures first yours then their public school teachers then law enforcement people and then they'll join the military and they won't listen to their drill sergeant they won't respect the authority. But here's the worst thing. They won't respect the authoritative word of God. It's kind of a humorous illustration of a very serious point. Now, I think I've mentioned this to you, but uh, have you ever gone to, um, you know, a store like Walmart and, you know, uh, Mama's there with kids, different moms, and there's lots of toys to play with in the toy section and all the rest. But is busy. She, you know, she's got to get the groceries home, get the kids home, make dinner and all the rest. So she says to her uh, child who's preoccupied with one of the toys, she says, Bobby, let's go. We gotta go right this minute. Bobby, right this minute. Bobby, we gotta go right this minute. Bobby, if you don't come here right this minute, I'm gonna leave you here. You hear me, Bobby? I'm gonna leave you here. Well, there's no mom in the history of humankind who has ever complied with her own statement. If so, Walmart would be filled with abandoned kids. They're just not there. So little Bobby knows my, mom, my mom's not serious. I don't have to take her word seriously. She's not going to lead me here. She's not going to lead me here. You see, that, that's a big mistake. Uh, once you state something, even if, though it's uncomfortable for you to carry out, you have to do it. Therefore, you should not make extreme statements about uh, disciplinary consequences if you're not willing to carry it out. I remember when I was a kid, my sister... Uh, had her boyfriend come over the house. She was, I don't know, a high schooler or something like that. And uh, this particular boyfriend uh, and me would do things together. One of the things we do, we would have food eating contests when he'd come over the house. It'd be ice cream or whatever the deal is, and just this thing. So one time my sister got real mad, She's upset. She goes to my father, Dad! Whenever so-and-so comes over, Stuart, he spends all his time with Stuart, what's wrong? And, and I felt like saying, you know, well, man, if you were more fun than the way you are, he'd probably spend more time with you. But anyway, uh, she was complaining one time, uh, and her boyfriend and I were in the midst of having an orange eating contest. We just had a big bunch of oranges. We were just eating these oranges see who can put away the most oranges. And my sister starts complaining, Dad, Stuart said it again, you know, this kind of thing. And uh, so my dad gets mad. He comes in, and he yells out in my mother's earshot. Her name is Frida. Frida, that's it. No more fruit in this house. (laughs) So he says, that's it. I have spoken. We will no longer from this day forward have any fruit. I mean, that's the penalty, he said. So years later, I went off to college, came home on vacation, went to the refrigerator and extracted something that looked like an apple in there, and I brought it to my dad. Dad! Is this a, how shall we say, fruit? <laughs> and anyway, we had good time, fun with it. So anyway, you want to be careful. Don't box yourself in having to apply a penalty you stated impulsively, but you don't want to imply, apply. You just don't want to do it. So this idea, you know, if you don't come right now, I'll leave you in Walmart. Don't be doing that. You're not going to. You're not going to follow through on it. anyway. And your kids will start devaluing your words, and therefore everyone else's, including God's. Now, at this point, it's important for us to know we're speaking about the rod, uh, but that's not the only form of child-rearing uh, available to us. In fact, um, there are many other interventions, parental interventions, you can make use of. So uh, my advice is you should begin, begin with the least uh, intrusive least painful intervention, disciplinary intervention to get the job done, to bring about repentance. And then you should move up uh, ultimately to, to the rod if necessary. Sometimes a word, even a look, oh my goodness. I, I'm, have you ever seen the looks of certain parents? Good, I mean, they, they, just, they don't have to say anything. They just look. I mean, that kid would rather be beaten half to death than to have their dad or mom look at them. You know, some you can hear them crying out, "Oh, dad, please beat me, just don't look at me." But some kids are very, very sensitive. That's really good. Well, there is no need to extract the rod in that case. You just look at them, just just utter a word. Sometimes a word is enough. The rod should be reserved, it seems to me, uh, only for those times and those children who seem to be unable or unwilling to listen to reason, and then uh, that uh, pain will reinforce what you're trying to say and will get their attention. So I noticed two things in particular that happen that seem to characterize those who have been raised without loving discipline. I see this a lot in uh, homes where there's no father. Uh, It's just an observation I make. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Uh, Two things characterize kids who grow up without this kind of parental discipline later in life. One, one, they seem to lack self-restraint, meaning uh, they cannot delay gratification. They can't take this, no, not now. So if they see something, it's not theirs. They can't afford it, but they want it. They will appropriate it. They just can't say no. Why? Why? because they never had someone say to them, no, not now. And one of the characteristics of growing up without that kind of parental discipline, it seems to me, is self-restraint, is the absence of self-restraint. Two, uh, kids who grew up that way and now are adults seem to lack not only the capacity to delay gratification, but they also seem to lack a moral compass. We're seeing this more and more today. Um, crazy acts of violence. What do I mean by that? Something that doesn't seem rational. For instance, here's, here's a rational act of criminality. You, you steal someone's money or car. I'm not justifying it, but you can see... It's connected. Someone wants it, you know, there it is, you go and steal it. But today we're seeing crimes of violence that make no sense. Someone just shoots, someone just hits, someone just kills. We're seeing a proliferation of these inexplicable outbursts today. I think we're producing a generation of adults who, because they have grown up without this kind of biblical child-rooting in discipline, who not only cannot delay gratification, but they don't have a moral compass because no one has said to them, this is wrong, this is right. Let me reinforce in your mind that which is wrong and that which is right. And in the absence of that, it's kind of like if it seems right, if it feels good, I will, I will do it. I will do it and we're looking at all kinds of explanations for this proliferation of random, erratic, violent behavior, and we're looking in all the wrong places, it's the breakdown of the family, and it's the refusal to do things God's way. The rod is bad. Children are good. No, it's the other way around. It's the other way. It's the other way around. Now, uh, because of this, we are told in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18, discipline your son while there is hope. Do not desire his death. In other words, start consistent discipline at the most hopeful time in a child's life. That's early on. Why? Because they respect you, they look to you, they are more prone to allow you to form and shape them. Discipline your son while there is hope. Do not desire his death. Uh, Discipline your child while young, and in so doing, you may help your child to refrain from risky behavior, which may lead to his death. Like what? Drugs. Alcohol. Driving in a car. Uh, in excess of the speed limits. Risky, life-threatening behaviors. Uh, That proverb says, set guidelines while your child is young when it's most hopeful that what you do is going to be internalized by the child. And in so doing, you may keep him from death because he may be less inclined to engage in risk-taking behaviors which may lead to his death later on. Let me offer this Word which is found in Proverbs 20, verse 7. A righteous man, it says, who walks in his integrity. A righteous man who walks in his integrity. How blessed are his sons after him. The sons, daughters, of a righteous man or woman are blessed. What does that mean? This tells me the key principle of parenting is not a discipline, is not the rod. The key principle of parenting is parenting. By example, it is the walk of parents that is more instructive even than their talk. Kids pick up on the value system of their parents simply by living with them and watching them. So they may often forget what you have said, but they are much less likely to forget what you have done you are the model of behavior for them. Their inclination, you see, is to learn to do things just like they see you do. And so they may forget your advice, but it's unlikely they will ever forget your example. So I ask you this fairly haunting question. How do you feel about the fact that your kids and your grandkids are probably going to do things just as they see you do. That's a haunting question. Ask God to search your heart about that one. How do you feel about the fact that your kids and grandkids are likely to do uh, the things they see you do? What's going on at home? What are they seeing? Not what they're hearing. What are they seeing? What are they watching? I would really, really encourage you, with God's help, try to break patterns, unhealthy patterns of behavior uh, that you surely, surely do not want your kids to model. What do they see you watching? What do they see you wearing? What do they see you smoking? What do they see you drinking? How do they see you spending? Long after your kids have forgotten your advice, they will not forget your example. So this text says a righteous person who walks in his or her integrity. Ah, how blessed are that person's children. They see how to live. I would encourage you not to put the onus of responsibility on your children and not to think that you could extinguish their bad behavior through any form of discipline if the way they see you living is inconsistent with the way you want them to live. It's by modeling. It's by example. Don't get unduly nervous. Even though your parent or grandparent, if you're a Christian, your essential identity is to be a child of the Heavenly Father. Say to Him, O oh God, You have saved me from the penalty of my sin. Now, would You save me from poor parenting techniques and examples? Would You reparent me? Would You make me to be a healthy and wholesome, righteous son or daughter of God, so that my sons and daughters can see you in me. A righteous person, a person in right standing with Almighty God, one who walks in his or her integrity. Oh, how blessed are the children of that particular one. Now, in closing, I read earlier uh, a proverb that said, discipline your son while there's hope, and I might have hurt you. Because some of you have passed that stage. Your kids are older now. And they're quite rebellious. You might say, I missed the opportunity when there was most hope to impact on them, to form them. It didn't happen that way. And now they're astray, running from God and all the rest. Is there no hope for you? There is hope for you. Because Almighty God, (laughs) our Father has all kinds of means at his disposal. Even now, at an advanced age in your child's life or grandchild's life, your father has even now uh, all manner of interventions available to him by which he can change the heart and mind and direction even of your wayward child or grandchild. Yes, there's always hope. Don't give up. Say, oh God. I confess to you I've done things wrong, and I didn't give my child the start in life I should have. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you as an adopted child of yours. You love me and will not let me go. Thank you for casting all my sins behind your back. Now, that having been said, oh, God, would you mercifully, as the perfect parent, the perfect heavenly Father, would you please extend yourself to my wayward son or daughter? grandson or grandchild by your grace would you use all that which is at your disposal and that's everything to change the heart of my loved one so that loved one returns to you or clings to you for the first time you can pray that in fact I would like to invite you to do that even tonight so could I ask you to stand to your feet everyone if you don't mind but please Could I ask you to practice the discipline of not leaving just yet? (laughs) Sometimes when we stand, people think it's a time to go. Please don't do that just yet. Promise we won't be here too long. Uh, I ask you to stand just to make it easier for folks who want you to come up, up front and stand here and just kneel here. For this purpose, would you petition the Father? Would you say to him, oh, God, my heart breaks because of my wayward son or daughter or grandson, or grandchild. There are many explanations for his or her misbehavior. Oh, God, now is not the time for me to beat up on myself. Uh, You were beaten enough for everyone. I'm a forgiven one. I simply come as your child, uh, petitioning you on behalf of my child, whom you love even more than me. Just make your way just as this dear one has up to the front Uh, here you know there's no magic in praying here instead of there it isn't to get god's attention it's to get yours (laughs) Uh, you'll remember here now on april 27th oh god i took these terrible burdens which i can't carry any longer and i brought it to you almighty god i'm going to leave them in this church tonight that's what believing prayer means it means i transfer the burden from my shoulders onto yours